Hi everyone and welcome to the ADEA podcast series presenting a number of topics identified by you, members of the Australian Diabetes Educators Association. The ADEA podcast series highlights latest updates and research in the areas that are relevant to best practice in diabetes management, diabetes care and diabetes education. My name is Jan Orford, a long-time ADEA member, and I will be your host. Today, we will be discussing gestational diabetes in the interest of time, but if you would like another session to focus on pregnancy and pre-existing diabetes, please indicate that in your feedback. I would like to now introduce Amanda Bartlett, who is a certified midwife and credentialed diabetes educator. Amanda has worked in the field of women's health for over 30 years and in the specialised field of diabetes and pregnancy for the last 15 years. She was a board member of ADIPS for over four years and is currently the chair of the ADEA Special Interest Group, Diabetes and Pregnancy. Amanda managed the diabetes service at a major obstetric hospital in Sydney for seven years is currently working as a midwife and credentialed diabetes educator in private practice. Thank you for your time today, Amanda. Thanks, Jan. I would like to start this session by asking you the first question. I think we'd all be aware that new criteria for diagnosing GBM have been put into place more recently. Could you explain to us why these changes came about, please? So Pedersen's hypothesis from 1952 that maternal hypoglycemia caused neonatal hyperinsulinemia formed the basis of the understanding of the pathophysiology of GDM. In Australia, the guidelines that were previously used for testing and diagnosing GDM were based upon expert opinion. Following a fasting 75 gram GTT, women were diagnosed with GDM if the fasting was greater or equal to 5.5 or the two hour was greater or equal to eight. The hyperglycemia adverse pregnancy outcomes or HARPO trials was approved and commenced with results published in 2008. The objective of the HARPO study was to clarify the risks of adverse outcomes associated with degrees of maternal glucose intolerance less severe than overt diabetes mellitus. It was a large blinded multinational trial 25,500 women participated in the trial and ultimately 23,316 women's data was analysed. The study's results reported a strong correlation between increasing maternal glucose on the GTT and a range of adverse outcomes for the fetus or the mother. Following the publication of the HARPO trial, an international group of experts in diabetes in pregnancy, who subsequently became known as the IADPSG, was formed to analyse the data. New consensus guidelines were proposed to diagnose GDM from the analysis of the HARPO data by the IADPSG. These guidelines were subsequently adopted by the World Health Organisation and endorsed by many international organisations. Within Australia, they were published and recommended by ADIPS from November 2014. Thanks, Amanda. Can you tell us which women should be tested for GDM during their pregnancy? 
The incidence of gestational diabetes is increasing, and according to data from the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, in the years 2005 to 2006, GDM was diagnosed in 4.6% of births among women aged 15 to 49 years. This had increased by over 20% from the last audit in 2000-2001. Therefore, all women who do not have pre-existing diabetes should be tested for GDM in their pregnancy. Screening women and testing only those with risk factors is not recommended. Okay, so where, at what point in the pregnancy should these women be tested for GDM then? Well, in Australia there's been a change in the demographics of women who are becoming pregnant. We're seeing women who are older, obesity rates are rising, and women have diverse ethnicities and greater comorbidities. Women presenting for pregnancy care have more undiagnosed abnormalities of glucose tolerance and previously undiagnosed type 2 diabetes. As a result, some women should be tested for diabetes at the first opportunity after conception. Diagnosing diabetes early in pregnancy allows these women access and referral to expert services and care. The method of testing will depend upon local healthcare policy, expert opinion and geography. Uh, for example, in rural and remote areas, an HbA1c may well be used instead of a GTT. So women who do not have known pre-existing diabetes and have two or more of the following risk factors should be tested as soon as possible in their pregnancy. So women who are over 40 years of age. The risk of GDM actually increases with age. In 2005-2006, the risk of GDM increasing with age from 1% among the 15 to 19-year-old women to 13% among women aged 44 to 49 years. And women who were aged 30 to 34 years accounted for more than one third of GDM cases in 2005-2006. Women who've had previous hypoglycemia or elevated blood glucose in pregnancy, women who've had polycystic ovarian syndrome, certain ethnic groups, so Asian, Indian subcontinent, Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islanders, Maori, Pacific Islanders, Middle Eastern or non-white African. In the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare report 2005-2006, the age-adjusted incidence rate of GDM among Indigenous women was 1.5 times that of other Australian women and the risk of GDM was higher among Indigenous women compared to other Australian women across all the age groups. So women with a family history of diabetes or a sister who's had GDM and it, we should note here it needs to be a first degree relative not a grandparent or a great aunt. Women who have a pre-pregnancy BMI of over 30 and a previous baby who's been born macrosomic so a birth weight of over 4.5 kilos or greater than the 90th centile and certain medications such as corticosteroids and antipsychotics. So women with two or more of those risk factors should undergo an early test and all remaining women should undergo testing at 24 to 28 weeks, 28 weeks gestation. Currently there's controversy over the issues of diagnosis of hypoglycemia in early pregnancy. The HARPO trial was conducted on women between 24 and 28 weeks gestation and yet the new diagnostic criteria have been applied across the entire pregnancy. So an article published in Diabetes Care in 2016 suggests that the IADPSG fasting glucose threshold 
of 5.1, so the identification of GDM in early pregnancy is not justified by current evidence. Thanks, Amanda. What is or are the preferred diagnostic tests for these women? So all women should have a 75 gram POGTT, which is slightly different from a GTT in that blood is collected fasting and then one hour and two hours post-glucose load as opposed to just fasting and two hours post-glucose load. So it's the pregnancy oral glucose tolerance test. The one hour reading was inserted on the strength of the HARPO data. There's no need for these women to follow a three-day carbohydrate diet before the test. However, they are required to fast from midnight, but sips of water are allowed. The 50-gram glucose challenge test is no longer recommended as it lacks sensitivity and specificity. Okay, could you, um, once the diagnosis is made, then what education do these women need in terms of managing their GDM? All women who are newly diagnosed with GDM should ideally be offered an appointment within about a week of their diagnosis as recommended by ADIC. At this appointment, they should first be offered the time to discuss their feelings and thoughts around the diagnosis. Most women are shocked and worried and will absorb very little information unless their fears are addressed first. It's useful to encourage a support person, partner or relative to attend with her. Pathophysiology of GDM is explained and the possible effects of untreated GDM to the fetus and the neonate. The woman is informed of her future risks of developing type 2 diabetes and the importance of follow-up testing. According to a study performed by Lee in 2007, around 17% of Australian women with GDM do go on to develop type 2 diabetes within 10 years and up to 50% within 30 years. The LEAD study was performed using old criteria, so the 5.5 fasting or the 8 or 2 hours. So it's a little bit difficult to estimate rates moving forward with new criteria. The role of exercise as an adjunct therapy in GDM is explained. It's important to explore exercise that is suitable to culture and to pregnancy and to time the exercise to improve glucose results. So for example, an elevated fasting level sometimes improves by timing exercise to late afternoon or evenings. And should postprandial readings be elevated, a walk after that meal will often bring glucose levels to target. Women need to be provided with equipment and taught how to accurately perform home blood glucose monitoring. An MDSS registration is arranged if women have Medicare, and this has the added benefit of adding women to a GDM recall register, which sends reminders to the women to have follow-up testing of the diabetes. Women should ideally be reviewed by a dietitian and prescribed a diet that is appropriate to her culture, to pregnancy and to GDM. Could you briefly mention the resources available to assist in providing this education? So ADIS, the Australian Diabetes and Pregnancy Society, have a variety of written resources for GDM, including a really simple frequently asked questions of GDM. They also have different downloadable Indigenous resources, which were written and developed by Cindy Porter. And they have downloadable written resources for insulin or metformin initiation, which have been translated into different languages by Queensland Health. Diabetes Australia and the NDSS both have good websites and written resources and downloadable resources on the physiology and management of GDM. Gestational diabetes recipes 
website was put together by a dietitian and a, and a consumer who had GDM and is passionate about food. It's a lovely website that has some great recipes for pregnant women. And moving into social media, there's an Instagrammer who posts recipes called GD underscore inspo and she aims at healthy eating during pregnancy and weight loss in the postpartum period. There are several Facebook support groups for women with GDM. In relation to apps, there's a really great app called Pregnant with Diabetes. The app was developed in Copenhagen but adapted by ADIPS Council and launched at the ADIPS scientific meeting last year. It's specifically aimed at women with type 1 or type 2 diabetes, but it may well be used by women with GDM too. And it's free and it's able to be downloaded from the app store. Would you comment on the treatment options for GDM for us? So the vast majority of women will manage to control their GDM with just dietary modifications, exercise and home blood glucose monitoring. Women should have a follow-up appointment around a week after their first diabetes consultation to review glucose results and dietary habits. Thereafter, results are reviewed regularly until birth. They may or may not require an extra ultrasound to look at the growth of the baby. You'd have to check with your local policies. Labour and birthing is discussed with the women, postpartum care and follow-up. Blood glucose levels will be checked throughout the labour. Following the birth, the women are encouraged to resume normal diet and will have a follow-up GTT at 6 to 12 weeks postpartum. Early frequent feeding of the baby is encouraged and rooming in to reduce the risks of hypoglycemia in the neonate. Most hospitals will check the baby's blood sugar for around 24 hours by regular heel pricks. A proportion of women will require pharmaceutical therapy and depending upon treatment targets, demographics of the women, medication rates can be as high as 50%. Insulin is widely used and women may require either long or short acting insulin and sometimes both. It should be noted that no woman plans a pregnancy and hopes to be injecting insulin. Women who need to start insulin in their pregnancy should ideally have an individual session with a diabetes educator to learn how to self-inject, understand the modes of action of their insulin signs and symptoms of hypoglycemia need to be addressed and safe driving. Since the publication of the metformin in gestational diabetes study in 2008 by Janet Rowan, there's much wider use of metformin during pregnancy. A recent review and meta-analysis compared insulin and metformin in gestational diabetes and type 2 diabetes and found that metformin use was associated with reductions in the risks of neonatal hypoglycemia less large for gestational age babies, pregnancy-induced hypertension, total maternal pregnancy body weight gain, and it seemed to have no significant impact on preterm delivery or small for gestational age babies. But there is, however, limited data on long-term outcomes. It should be noted that around 14 to 16% of women do actually require um, the addition of insulin to reach glycemic targets. Amanda, all this would seem to require a fair amount of resources, both human and educational. And I know that this has been an issue for most providers since the new criteria were introduced. Could you comment on what those issues are and how they might be dealt with? Yes, thanks, Jan. The hospitals have increasing numbers of women presenting for care with GDM. The study performed in Wollongong by Bob Moses indicated that under new criteria there would be an increase from 9.6% 9, 9 to 13%. 
So most hospitals have set up group education for women, which is highly effective from a time perspective, and the women actually feel well supported too. Women need to be screened carefully for language skills and mental health issues prior to being allocated to group education. In Queensland, they trialled and are using telehealth for women in remote areas. Um, midwives can be upskilled to care for women with GDM. An e-learning tool for GDM was produced last year by Queensland Health. This can be accessed via the MedCast website and it contains 12 modules and provides health professionals with an evidence-based approach to the care of women with GDM. And I've actually tried this, um, the modules and they're really easy to use. In 2015, I was involved in setting up an ABEA special interest group for diabetes in pregnancy and our aims are to provide support for educators in the specialised field. We've written a letter to a for ADEA to assist in lobbying for a Medicare item number for GDM under the Allied Health Care Plan and it is our hope that this will fund more educators to assist with caring for the increasing numbers of women presenting for care. It's very easy to join the Diabetes in Pregnancy Special Interest Group just by contacting ADEA National Office. And once a member, there will be a newsletter circulated twice per year with webinars conducted and there's a forum for sharing of ideas, resources and contacting other members who work within the field of diabetes in pregnancy. Well Amanda, we've covered all the questions I had to ask you and we've covered an awful lot of information and thank you for that. But I wonder if you could tell us what your take-home messages would be about GDM for our members from today's discussion. GDM can be a highly stressful event in a woman's pregnancy and I see it as our role as diabetes educators to support and educate women and their families through this time. And it's also a unique time for educators to provide education surrounding healthy eating, weight management and avoidance of type 2 diabetes in their future. Thanks Amanda, um, I just really do want to thank you very much once again for your time and thank you to members for taking the time to listen to this podcast and I look forward to joining you next time. Thank you. Thanks Jan.